0: Well, the past month or so, we have been on a journey examining many of the parables that Jesus spoke during his, um, some of his final days on earth. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about the parable of the ten virgins and how it's a warning parable about being ready and paying attention to how we're living during this time between uh, Christ's first and second coming. It's a warning against Christians who want to do Christianity on their own terms, um, apart from community, apart from giving, um, apart from serving, and apart uh, from being vulnerable. And it shows that God will not accept our half-hearted attempts to follow him in ways that are only convenient to us. To him, it's all or nothing. And so today we're going to continue our journey of looking at yet another parable that Jesus spoke during some of his final days. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Matthew 25 again. 25, 14 through 30. It should be page 902 if you're using a pew Bible. This is the parable just right after the one we did last week, uh, the 10 virgins. This is called the parable of the talents. Your Bible might Call it the parable of the bags of gold. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus said again, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags. And to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. So, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in the story, we have a master who represents God. This master was about to embark on a journey. But before he left, he entrusted his servants with his wealth by giving them varying amounts of bags of gold. Um, and the entrusted servants in this story primarily represent us. Followers of the master, followers of God. So keep that in mind. And the gold in this story, this is really important, so be sure to get this. The gold in this story has nothing to do with gold or leprechauns or anything like that, okay? The gold in the story represents spiritual gifts, capacities, responsibilities, uh, and authority. And that's why it says that each man received differing amounts of gold each according to his own ability, okay? And this is proof in itself just of the wisdom of the master. He knew what certain people could handle and what they can't. So, for example, God has given Pastor Bob responsibilities and authority that I'll probably never be able to handle, okay? And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that, okay? I've seen the stuff that comes across his desk. Whew. Okay? I'm not wired to handle it. What I can handle and what each of you sitting here can handle are probably going to be different things, okay? If God gave us all equal authority, some of us would probably crumble under the weight of that type of responsibility, right? Some of us, God is wise. He knows if he gave us too much authority our heads would explode because the size of our ego, right? That might be a few of us in this room as well. Okay, so the master knows what he's doing here. So he gives one servant five bags of gold, the second servant two bags of gold, and the third servant one bag of gold. He entrusts his wealth to these men before he leaves on his journey. And he wants them to do something with what he's given them, right? He expects them to put his wealth to work, and to multiply what he's entrusted to them. So when the, so when the um, first man received five bags of gold, it said that he immediately went to work. He immediately put his master's wealth to work. There was no hesitation. There was no question about what he needed to do. He got busy stewarding that money, okay? And he was able to turn that five bags of gold into ten bags because he was faithful with what was entrusted to him. And the same is true of the man who received two bags of gold. It's that he immediately went to work. He started putting his master's money to work, and he was able to take that two bags and double it and turn it into four bags of gold. And something I love about the second servant here that only received two bags of gold is that there wasn't any type of shame or kind of comparison that he was playing, right? He didn't look at the other guy and say, man... What's up with that? Why did he get five bags of gold and I only got two? That doesn't seem fair. Am I not good enough? Am I not as good as this man? There was no sense of that. He didn't throw a pity party. He didn't try to argue with the master. He simply understood what he had been given. And he committed to doing the best with what was entrusted to him. There was this sense of contentment with this second servant and really a sense of contentment with all three of these servants because they simply accepted what they were given without looking around, grumbling, or playing the comparison game. And really, the comparison game goes both ways, doesn't it? For some of us that might not have quite as many gifts as we see in others, we can think, man, I want want what that guy has. Why can't I be that talented? Why can't I have that kind of responsibility so we can play it that way? But sometimes those of us with five bags, we can approach God and say, this is too much, right? I can't handle the weight of this kind of responsibility. It's kind of a shirking of responsibility. They don't want it because there's a fear of what it's going to cost or demand of them to live in to the responsibility that God has given them. There's this really cool story in the New Testament where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciple, Peter. And three different times, Jesus asks him, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. And Peter's like, he says his heart starts to get heavy because it weighs on him. Like, do you doubt that I love you? Like, what's going on, Jesus? And right afterwards, Jesus kind of launches into this short explanation, basically, of how Peter was going to suffer and die and how his death would bring glory to God. And so... That was probably hard news to hear. If somebody told me how I was going to die, that would not be the funnest conversation. And right after Peter heard these hard words, it says that he looked back and the disciple John was just right behind them. John was following them as they were kind of walking along. And after hearing this news, he looks back and points at John and says, hey, what about him? Kind of like, is, is he going to die too, you know? Like, I don't want to be alone. And in this cool moment, Jesus just goes, don't worry about him. What is that to you to know? Worry about yourself. Don't worry about him. And it's really this beautiful picture of Jesus teaching his disciples and us today. He's saying, stop looking around, okay? We all are tempted to do this. Stop looking around and seeing how you measure up to people, okay? Stop saying, man, I wish I was that talented. Man, am I, you know, I'm not as pretty as her. Man, I wish I had that gift. Man, I want more authority in this area of my life. He's saying, just be faithful with what you have been given. That's all we're asked to do. So after a long journey, the master returns. He comes home to settle accounts with his servants. And everything seems to be going great, right, at first. The servant who took his five bags of gold and doubled it was praised by his master. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The master then looked at the servant who had received two bags of gold and turned it into four bags, and he responded in the exact same way that he did with the man who turned his five bags into ten. There was no comparison in the eyes of the master of the differing amounts of responsibility. Of the first two servants. He was equally proud and equally satisfied with both of them for being content and faithful with what he gave them. And the principle here, it may seem obvious, but the principle is if we are faithful with what God gives us, regardless of how big or small it may seem, he will entrust more responsibility and authority to us in our lives. So those are the first two servants. Now we come to the part where the story starts to turn sour, okay? The master encounters the third and final servant, and things start to get ugly very quickly, right? This is where we're going to spend a decent little chunk of time. So the third servant who had been given one bag of gold approaches the master and says, Hey, I was afraid. I was afraid of losing the money. And so I just kind of went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here it is, man. And the master is furious, okay? He is so angry, he's outraged. He says, you wicked, lazy servant, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. That's the least you could have done. Then the master had his bag of gold taken away from him, and he had the worthless servant thrown outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's quite a response. Okay? And I want to hear from you guys. Why do you think the master responded so harshly to this servant? Why is this idea of stewardship so important? Why do you think the master responded so harshly to this third and final servant? He had his gifts and the gold he had it taken away. He called him wicked, lazy. He had him thrown outside into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? Why did the master respond so harshly? What do you guys think? Floor's open. Yes. I don't know. It's almost like uh, we have a lot of responsibility. Like you said, we have a lot of responsibility. We're kind of, you know, we may be the, uh, the only Christ that some people see. So it's, it's almost, you know, we're a little responsible to, to spread that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. He said, for some people, we might be the only Christ that they see. So to throw away our giftings and responsibilities in that, yeah, what a shame. It's a good point. What else? Why do you think he responded so harshly to this servant? Yeah, yeah, he's saying it kinda makes the kinda makes the master look foolish when yeah, when we don't do with what we've been given. Yeah, that's good. One more maybe? Anyone else? Brady. Yeah, 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 he's saying that, you know, there might be some people that we invest in and reach out to that we might not ever see change in their life, but we are planting seeds, little by little, even if we don't even see that in their lifetime, and we have a responsibility to love them right where they are. Oh, one, one more from the chair of the board, okay, Aaron. <laughs> Yeah, that's really good. So, she, yeah, she's saying, so, you know, to the landowner, this is, this is life and death. This is my land. This is my family. Like, this is my chance. Like, steward this well, what I'm giving you. Yeah, very good. Good stuff. Uh, the master, I put, I mean, there's lots of ways to take it. I put the master responded so harshly to this servant because just like God, his desire is to see others flourish. His desire is to see other people flourish. And that's what a lot of you guys are saying. He wants to see his love and goodness be poured out, right, on those around us. And the primary way that he does that is through us, his followers, his disciples. You see, this third servant, this final servant, he wasn't concerned about the well-being of anyone else, right? He doesn't care about anyone except for himself. He operated with this kind of a self-centered, cover-your-own-rear-end mentality, right? He thought, well, I might not help anyone else by hoarding this treasure, but at least I won't lose anything either. So I'm just going to play it safe. I'm just going to play it safe. The servant had a scarcity mentality. He was unwilling to risk, unwilling to be vulnerable. Check out what author Andy Crouch had to say about this idea. He said, the vulnerability that leads to flourishing requires risk, which is the possibility of loss, the chance that when we act, we will lose something that we value. This servant was unwilling to take any risk for the sake of others because he was afraid of what he could lose, and the greatest mistake that this servant made is that he allowed fear to paralyze him. He allowed fear to paralyze him. Can anyone relate to that? Have you ever allowed fear to paralyze you from doing something that God specifically asked you to do? When we allow fear to control our lives, do you know how we usually respond to God's call to us? We do nothing. We do absolutely nothing. We take a back seat. And we tell ourselves, you know what, someone else will step up and do it. Someone else will take care of this person, that person, that need. Somebody else will handle it. But will they? Remember, God has uniquely wired you, okay? You have gifts. You have an ability to connect with people that others simply don't have. You can connect and reach people that others simply can't. How many souls... Have been lost because Christians were afraid to say or do something in the lives of those people? How many souls have been lost because Christians gave in to fear of having a hard conversation or stepping out of their comfort zone? We're afraid to talk to that person because we don't want them to mock us, right? We're afraid to use our unique leadership skills within our school because if things go wrong, we don't want the blame. We're afraid to call out lovingly a friend who's going down a slippery slope because we don't want to offend them, right? The list goes on and on. The worst thing we can do with what God has given us is nothing. Allowing fear to paralyze us from using the gifts and responsibilities that he's given us is a slap in the face to God, and that's why he takes this so seriously, And guys, the common thread that runs through all the parables that we've been looking at and talking about is that we need to be doing the things that God commanded us to do while we wait for Christ's uh, return. We need to be bearing fruit in this world that we've talked about many times. And this parable is kind of about the, the how. How do we do that? How do we go about his business? How do we bear fruit? And this story shows that we can't go about the Father's business on our own terms, or in our own foolish ways. We have to go about it in the way that he desires, okay? And his his desire and expectation is for growth and flourishing of what we've been given. His desire and expectation is for growth and flourishing. Think about the parable of the sower. It's kind of the story of a farmer who just scatters seed Seeds everywhere, right? He just spreads seeds all over the place in, in hopes that some of it would take root in order to produce fruit, right? Think of the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. He takes this small lunch, right, of this little boy, just a couple fish, a couple loaves of bread, and he multiplies it into enough food to feed 5,000 people miraculously. Both of these stories are examples of how God takes things and multiplies them. God is in the business of multiplying and flourishing. Nothing that you've been given is solely for you. Okay? Remember that. Nothing that you've been given or have experienced is solely for you. All of it is a gift that's meant to be shared for the benefit of others. So if the Father comes back, and we've done nothing with what he's given us, then can we really say that we're going about his business? Can we really say that we care about the things that he cares about if we've buried our gifts, buried our responsibilities, we just take a passive seat in the back in hopes that somebody else will step up and carry our load that we're unwilling to carry? And a big point in this parable is that every single one of us someday will stand before God And we will be held accountable with what we did with our lives and the gifts that he gave us. All of us will stand before God one day and be responsible for what we did with our lives and how we did at being stewards of his resources. What will he say to us? What will he say to you? Check out what Paul said, the apostle. 1 Corinthians about this idea. He said, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds straw on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. So see here again, it's this idea that we are builders. We are stewards of what we've been given. Paul says to build with care. Because the quality of our work will be tested one day. God takes what we do with his resources seriously, and we would be wise to do the same. Check out this quote from Pastor John MacArthur, kind of on the same concept of stewardship. All Christians are but God's stewards. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord, entrusted to us for a while to use in serving him if you are a Christian then you are a steward period the question isn't if you'll be entrusted with kingdom resources the question is what you'll do with them what will you do with what you've been entrusted with that's the question and as I reflect back on my life there have been times and there's been seasons where I felt that I was living in to the gifts that God gave me. For close, I've shared this several times, for close to a decade of my life, my sole pursuit was kind of using my musical gift, uh, specifically drumming. And I was so self-focused on that one gift, that pursuit, that it wasn't even on my radar that maybe God had other gifts that he wanted to use in my life. And if I'm being honest... Sometimes we choose, like I did, to use the gifts that demand the least of us. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes we choose to use the gifts that demand the least of us, okay? Playing drums is awesome. I'll play drums until the day that I die, okay? But it doesn't demand that I require the burdens of anybody, okay? That is much harder work than picking up some drumsticks and playing in a rock band, okay? So sometimes we choose to use the gifts that demand the least of us. And so thankfully, God moved in my life, and through the encouragement of a pastor friend, he kind of led me on the right track and opened my eyes that, whoa, maybe you got some other things to offer beyond just the world of music. And so I dived into it, and before I knew it, I was leading men's studies. I was counseling people, which was crazy. Um, I realized that I maybe had a gift of teaching, and so I started preaching sermons here at Wellspring, okay? Being a pastor was not on my radar at all in any way, shape, or form, okay? This was not a job that would have made the top 100. I didn't know I had any giftings to do something like this. But once I took my eyes off myself, I was able to see that there are other ways God wanted to use me that I hadn't even dreamed of being possible, Ways that I honestly and truly hope have brought a little bit of flourishing to some of the people sitting in these pews today. God has given you exactly what you need to do what he's called you to do. He has uniquely and specifically wired you in in order to live out the calling and desires that he has for your life. And I'm not just talking about your job. We can get so wrapped up in that or your career. How might God desire to use you are you open to him giving you new or different responsibility and authority in order to help others flourish? What might it look like for you to engage your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates in a way that points them to God? That shines some light in their life. The gifts, talents, authority and responsibilities of those of us in this room are all over the map, right? All over the place. Some of us have less giftings and responsibility than others in this room, and that is okay. That is exactly how it should be. God in his mercy has given you the perfect amount that you need for this time and place in your life, okay? He's given you the perfect amount that you need right now. And even if we've been given lots of responsibility and giftings and authority, The method in which God usually goes about growing our capacity is through suffering. Fun suffering, right? Suffering in one way or another. When we want our lives to truly be about doing the Father's business, there's always risk involved. There's always risk of loss when choosing to give our life away for the flourishing of others, right? Our selfish dreams might be crushed. Our desire for comfort and pleasure will be stripped away, will be rejected by those around us for living this life that simply does not make sense in the eyes of the world. Think about the way that God the Father went about his business. He went about it through the death of his son, he allowed his son to be killed so that we could flourish. His own son had to suffer so that we could be forgiven and so that all of mankind could flourish. Think about the Apostle Paul's life. Paul was a brilliant scholar, okay? He was a genius. He had all kinds of giftings from God. But his path to being fruitful was one of constant stripping away of power and authority. He started off with lots of authority but no vulnerability. He was the leader of the revolt against Christianity who caused horrible suffering to all kinds of people because of his misplaced passion to um, God's law. But once Christ got a hold of him and shifted his focus to him alone, his authority started to shift as well. See, he didn't gain a lot of worldly recognition when that shift took place because he was beaten a lot, right? Nobody's really signing up to hang out with a dude that's that's getting beat all the time and thrown in prison. But because of his increase in vulnerability and his willingness to take risks for the kingdom, other people were able to flourish and experience the extravagant love of Christ. And guys, as we start to wrap up here in a minute and come to the communion table, we have to reflect on what God is teaching us through this parable, okay? And we're most likely in different spots, depending on just who you are. So I'm going to just throw out some questions to kind of wrestle with. Are you using the gifts, talents, and responsibilities that God has given you to the full? Or have you buried them in the ground because you're afraid of failure? You're afraid of being hurt or being rejected. And if you're not sure how to answer that question, ask some people close to you. Pull a few friends aside and say, hey, how am I doing at being a good steward with the gifts and responsibilities that God's given me? And be open to what they have to say. Are you willing to embrace suffering that might come your way in order to be stretched and molded? so that God could use you in ways that maybe you don't even think are possible right now? Are you content with what God has given you? Or are you always kind of internally grumbling, wishing that you had different gifts, wishing that you were wired a certain way, or wishing that you were someone else? And could that be hindering you from being fruitful in God's kingdom? Whatever God might be speaking to you, we're going to give you some silence, some time to reflect, just between you and God. So I'm going to pray for us. And after a few minutes of silence, the ushers will come dismiss you each by row. Just come forward, take a piece of bread, and dip it in the juice. And we also have uh, gluten-free options if you need that as well. All right, let's pray together. God, you are so good. And we thank you for this, this parable. Such a great parable, but hard. <laughs> kind of hard to swallow as well, as all of these have been. God, you have given every single one of us, God, unique giftings and talents and capacities and responsibilities and authority, Lord. God, I pray that we would live into those well, God, that the way that you have uniquely and specifically wired each of us, God, that we would not Play the comparison game with others and wish that we were different. God, but I pray that we would just live into what we have. That's all that you've called us to do, God. Help us to multiply what you've given us so that others could flourish, Lord. God, forgive us for times in our lives, whether in the past or recently, God, where we've just buried what you've given us, where we've buried responsibilities. We've rejected the tugs that you have put on our heart because of fear. We've allowed, allowed fear to paralyze us, God. Jesus, help us to step out in faith and to start fully living in you, God, with no reservation, God, so that we can shed light and love to others, Lord, so that other people can flourish, Lord, because of our obedience, God. We thank you for this time, Jesus.